Hi, everyone. Natalie Dale here. If you're new, welcome. If you are joining us again, welcome back. It's like a family now. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Ahead of the Curve. You guessed it. We are a podcast series produced by the Georgia Department of Transportation that spotlights our amazing people, programs, and projects that help make our state transportation network, say it with me now, ahead of the curve. Innovation, mobility, safety. What do these three buzzwords have in common? Well, they're all used to describe transportation projects, especially by DOT. Those words are included in our mission, after all. But these words are also used in regard to autonomous vehicles. Of course, autonomous vehicle manufacturers, they want their products to be safe, innovative, and improve mobility for users who are on our roads using this vital technology. And what's more important, companies are beginning to strategize how to effectively bring the benefits of autonomous vehicles to you, the consumer, directly to the areas you live and work and play in. We're just beginning to see relatively new technology pop up in industries like shipping and logistics. Uh, you've seen, we've all seen the Amazon dog that delivers things to you. But it's also coming to passenger transit. Think of things like rideshare and buses. In this episode of Ahead of the Curve, we're talking to some folks who have spearheaded the development of hyper-local transportation innovation through the use of autonomous vehicles right here in Georgia. It's going to be a great episode, so stay with us. We'll be right back. Ninety-four percent of Americans acknowledge that text messaging while driving is dangerous, and yet too many people still do it. In fact, text messaging is considered the most dangerous type of distracted driving. Any kind of distracted driving endangers the driver and also their passengers, pedestrians, and others using the road. The hands-free Georgia law prohibits drivers from writing or sending texts, reading messages, posting on social media, and other forms of mobile device usage while driving. Let's end this dangerous habit before it ends you and others. Know the rules of the road and keep yourself and other drivers safe. Learn more at gahighwaysafety.org. Remember, don't reply, stay alive. Everyone, listen up. I've got breaking news. Well, it's not really breaking. It's been breaking for a very long time. That's why we're here to talk about it. I've got news. Autonomous transportation is real, and it's coming to a street near you. Okay, so maybe the reality of fully autonomous cars, trucks, and buses that can operate with zero human input, that's probably still a few years away. But we're already seeing the use of unmanned drones and self-driving cars hitting the streets. So we would like to welcome, and for those of you who are regular listeners, we're going to welcome back Clement Solomon, GDOT's Director of Intermodal, who is our first repeat guest. Yay, everyone cheers. We're glad to have you back. Um, you, uh, we, We're so glad you're here because we learned so many things about our intermodal program from your first visit. Uh, so I know a lot of people have been on the edge of their seats waiting to dive into everything going on. And with this specific episode autonomous transportation and what it means for Georgia, for me, for you. So welcome. And for those listeners who didn't hear your episode, go back and listen to it. But let's hear from Clement first. Tell us about yourself. 
Hey, hey, good to be back. Uh, I'm I'm here from West Virginia, and I think the last time we spoke, he, we we talked about other modes of transportation. Um, today, I'm excited to talk something that's very near and dear to my heart: the the PRT system in West Virginia. That I was uh, very much involved as a student, and then as someone that led the whole operation when I left West Virginia. So, throughout this episode, we're going to learn more about new autonomous programs that are coming to Georgia. And really, Georgia is at the forefront of this because a lot of states, a lot of countries, they don't have this yet. They're not doing it. But when we when we looked it up, there's one state that has done this successfully in the past. And there's one person in this building who was pivotal in the growth of that program. And we're talking about West Virginia, and we're talking about you. So tell us, because you know it, you were there, you lived it. Tell us all about PRT, and of course, we're talking about personal rapid transit in West Virginia and how you, how you helped to grow that program. Well, let me start with a point in history. Um, I'm not sure if you all know Richard Nixon's daughter, Trisha, was one of the first ones to ride the PRT. The PRT was built in the 70s, and it was a project through Boeing. And um, at the end of the Cold War, um, the Department of Transportation received some funds to um, look at innovative transportation options, and West Virginia University was chosen as one of those um, sites for the PRT system. So, Clement, when I think about innovative transportation needs, I mean, first of all, honestly, I'm thinking about like Tokyo. I'm thinking about the Jetsons and flying cars. Um, If I had to bring it down to what state in the USA is really the forefront of innovative transportation needs. You know, I think somewhere with bigger metropolitan areas that have, uh, you know, these off-the-wall innovative ideas. But I was shocked to learn that it actually is West Virginia that is the birth of the icon that is personal rapid transit. The, the one thread that connects some of these systems is congestion. They had, had a, a, a severe trans, um, traffic issue. And this being a, um, a university campus, they did not have a way to connect the entire campus with the buses that they had and all the automobiles that were out there. So the PRT was a logical solution for the campus of West Virginia University. And we say PRT without sort of knowing what that is or being able to vision it in my head. Can you can you describe what the system looked like? If I if I was from Mars and I came down and in West Virginia and said, what is this? What is the system? Can you describe for our listeners what what the system consisted of? Sure, sure. Um, To start with, uh, I'm not sure if it's 1968 or 69, but the the vehicle itself is built on a Dodge chassis with an occupancy of 12 seats and um, 12 seated passengers and a standing room of about 8 to 10. So you could take about 20 passengers in, in one of the PRT cars. Um, they ran on rubber tires and was on a, um, an electric guideway. We had about 70 cars. And the most impress- impressive and interesting feature of the PRT is that it's a demand-based system, which is one of its kind in the world. And so when we're talking demand-based, it's not a standard bus route where you get your bus map and it says this is the time the bus will be there. It's based on this is when people need it. This is when people, this is when the most need is. 
And I think that's probably one of the bigger complexities of when we talk about public transportation is some people just need it when they need it. They can't wait. Yes. So, but this was back in the 70s. So how did we get from the 70s to today? And we're talking about our system in Georgia that we'll get into. But from the 70s today, not not a lot has happened in this arena, seemingly. Yes. Um, let me just elaborate for a second on the demand-based system. So the demand-based system is very unique because you could be a passenger in a station and push a certain button, which would be your destination. So um, you wouldn't have to go through five stations to get to your choice destination. So that is what the demand system uh, operates under, you know, the, the logic through which it operates under. Um, one of the biggest challenges there was uh, with the adoption of PRT across um, the world was just the, the upfront costs. But what we have started to realize is other modes of transportation have also started to cost uh, as much as it, uh, a PRT system would cost. So I think the cost barriers are being overcome with the systems that they are that have been designed uh, today to the environment and the, and the needs of the, of the passengers. We, we talk about safety and everything we do. When this program was being developed, when this specific, the one in West Virginia, and you were involved in sort of the expansion and the growth of it, um, but seeing it really from the beginning, how was safety taken into account? Because we, we certainly like to know that we're looking at everything from a, from a lens of safety. Well, it is one of the safest systems in the world, again. Uh, there hasn't been a fatality in the last 40 years of its operation. Uh, each one of those vehicles operate like bubbles uh, with an envelope around it. So anytime a vehicle gets closer to the other, there are built-in occlusion avoidance systems that automatically turn the system off. So um, a lot of times that is one of the most safest features that you could have in, in, in these types of transportation modes and how did it how did how has it impacted from the beginning to now how has it impacted the community what has um, those who who use the system how have they seen the benefits has it been successful had did did you sort of have to midstream go a different direction how did it grow and how successful was it for those who used it as, as with any system it, it 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 is 40 years old so one of my major efforts at the at the university was to uh, modernize the system. So there are three or four major components. So I focused on the train control and fare gates and looking at updating the, the communication system. And that greatly enhances reliability. So a system without reliability is not going to be people's choice. So one of our biggest efforts was to focus on improving the reliability and today I think it operates at about 98 or 99 percent compared to when I first took over it was at about 80. So it sounds like it was and has been and continues to be a real benefit to that community. Um, normally when we see transportation initiatives that are successful in one area uh, other states are quick to pick up and later on in this in this today's episode, uh, we're going to talk to Gerald McDowell with the ATL Airport CIDs, who they're looking at a program similar to this, but the 2023 version of the program. So between the 70s 
and 2023. So what has happened in this space and why have we not seen it reproduced at, at to sort of the pace that we would have expected? One, I think um, the cost itself, public acceptance, and a lot of the communities are cash trapped. Um, they have, the PRT itself has morphed into other sorts of systems, but an exact replica of the PRT has yet to be done. And that's what makes the ATLCID PRT system a very interesting concept because you're moving the 70s into the, into the 2000s and um, with the, the innovations that um, are available today. And the technological advancements, certainly. I mean, you can't keep an iPhone for more than one year without it being out of date. And so if you think about all the technology that has um, that has, we've seen since the 70s, certainly in the transportation field, but even in just tech in general, uh, I, I think that we're going to see really great things. And, and we're going to talk to them. But I want to know more in our intermodal space, what is going on that is innovative when we're talking about the future of autonomous vehicles, things like unmanned aircraft systems, which sounds like UFOs. But So tell us, what is an unmanned aircraft system? Um, the easiest or the simplest way I could present this to you is, is, is a Tesla with wings. Um, I would be, uh, the design is still evolving, but what's happening is uh, the electric industry, the vehicle manufacturers and the aircraft industry has gone into this space leapfrogging aircraft design and um, fuel ideas into another space that um, we're yet to see what's going to happen, but we're already starting to see those uh, VTOLs, vertical takeoff and landing um, aircraft that are being uh, piloted and tested, not in the, in the passenger environment, but definitely I- into a space that it can um, evolve as an Air Uber someday. And some companies are using that, I know testing it out as delivery. But that's got to be a difficult thing for for transportation, for the U.S. Department of Transportation and states like Georgia when, you know, what, it's the, the wild, wild west of the air. Who has right of way and who how do you how do you work and who has things like that? And I'm sure that's something that y'all constantly have to think about in these innovative phases is what's the new regulation will need? What you know, who are the stakeholders? Who's going to come to the table when you've got these independent companies, you know, all steam ahead on these innovative strategies, um, but we certainly have to keep up with them as far as regulatory things and laws. How difficult is that? Well, we we decided to approach this with, with a big tent mindset. Um, recently, over the last six months, we have brought together uh, stakeholders and, and innovators uh, in this industry and in this space where we thought it was best to engage with those that have the experience and the expertise in this industry that we can continue to build, um, not alone from a regulatory framework and what else you have to do, but community acceptance. You know, what should be the blueprint for Georgia? Can the blueprint from Georgia be demonstrated in other parts of the country? So we, we have engaged with original equipment manufacturers, regulators, community professionals, and a whole bunch of folks, and we hope to have a, a blueprint available for folks to look at in the next few months. Education is key here. Yes. People have to understand, um, and safety is one of those things, because you can see viral videos of autonomous vehicles 
not working. You don't always see behind the scenes where you see the ones that are working. Uh, and so, so public perception and education, what, what's the best strategy for public education other than our, other than this podcast? What is the best strategy for public education about this new tier of transportation? Well, our, our strategy here is, is to move people's minds before we can move them in the air. Uh, we want to be sure that the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted with regard to this whole industry. And the number one item on our charts is safety. And how are we going to do this in a very safe manner? Thank you, Clement. Safety, safety, safety. We want to keep talking about that because it is something as a department that is vital to our mission. And so we always want to bring everything back to safety. So I appreciate you saying that. We have a lot of freight in our state. And, and so in addition to moving people um, and, and rapid personal rapid transit, we also have seen sort of the conversation continue around connected vehicles, which I think is something that can be more um, freight-related, moving like a, like a train of trucks, things like that. Is that something that your office um, has, has a finger on? We have a basic understanding of it. A lot has to evolve. As with any of the technologies that we're talking about, I think the key is communication. The, as, as the technological advances in, in communication happens, these things are going to be incorporated in just about every walk of life, not just in your vehicle. So you could get off the vehicles and you may still be following things that are looking at things that you are um, privy to as part of this new communication technology innovation. As far as those technologies itself, um, we are just scratching the surface. There's a lot to come, and we're learning with others as, as time goes by. But again, I would, I would emphasize the term safety because um, with any innovation and leapfrogging and thinking, if, if anything goes against the grain of safety, there's a big risk of that technology not being adopted or being left behind while others succeed just because they are safe. There is certainly a complexity to the whole issue because technology advances very quickly. And we know from building projects, because we build roads and bridges here at GDOT, in addition to everything that you do in your department and, and other initiatives we have, but you know, the primary goal are, you know, how how every department of transportation started was concrete, asphalt, roads and bridges. Roads and bridges take time to build. Technology is advancing at a hyper speed. How do you find the middle ground where you're building projects that embrace the future of technology when you don't even know what the future of technology is? I, that must be something that, that you have to think about daily as well as certainly the engineers in this building. How do we thread that needle? It, it, it's a challenge and I think it's, it's, it's going to evolve. Um, this is a new space that we're all used to roadways. And if you start talking about um, autonomous vehicles and you know, VTOLs in, in, in the air, a lot of this, I believe, will be uh, tested through freight or non-passenger related activities as you prove the concept. And um, there can also be different use case scenarios. For example, you could have um, a, a VTOL from the airport to your home and that's a 50 minute drive for me you know 
that could be a 20-minute fly, a flight time for me. But there are other use cases, too. Um, you could deliver packages. You could deliver. But all of these things, if it is not designed and developed uh, to be one of the safest operations, uh, they are not going to succeed in the market. We talk about express lanes, the future of express lanes in Georgia, and some are quick to say, you're just building something for more cars. But conversations have continued around technology and autonomous vehicles and how it's a great backbone for transit in that aspect because of the safety reason. Autonomous vehicles in a managed lane system have their own lane. They have their own dedicated, you know, closed off system. In the, should we get there, when we get there, hopefully hopefully we'll all see it before we get there, but you know, I won't be retired by then. But I want our listeners to understand that while it is technology is quickly advancing, that we do everything we can to address it and to build with that in mind, with, with a lot of things in mind, primarily safety. But that, that those conversations do happen is autonomous vehicles are coming. How will it fit into this project? And, and so that's something we, we take very seriously here, and I know your department is, is integral in. What, what have I missed? Because the, the technology side, the personal rapid transit, those things – are, are not always the first thing that we talk about. And so I want, I want you to be able to let us know, what are we missing? Other than the technology, you also need to have good processes, protocols, and procedures that line up with the, with the technology. So um, there are no ifs and buts. You know, these are some things where the room for failure is zero. Um, those are some things in, in combination with the technology can further enhance the safety components that we're all aspiring to meet. So um, it's not just the technology, but there are other components and the people that oversee it and the people that, you know, MARTA is a great example in terms of our oversight and how we've been able to work together to ensure that those people, products, and processes are in place to ensure that your system, although you have a very good technology, is able to perform with uh, very minimal or zero fatalities. Our, our number one goal here, zero fatalities on our roads. Um, and we keep watching those numbers. And one of the primary reasons is distraction or impairment. Autonomous vehicles hopefully take some of that out of the equation because, because the vehicle or the system that you're using is making smart choices that have been tested and are tried and true to keep you safe. And it takes some of that personal grabbing your phone, brushing your hair. It takes some of that out of it. So hopefully we do get to that zero number one day. It would be a great day in Georgia to have zero fatalities on our roads, certainly something we would all celebrate. Are we missing anything? Is there anything coming down the road that you can give us a sneak peek on? This system can, you know, the PRT was an icon. So this could become the icon of Georgia, you know, this, this ATL PRT system, maybe in your question or whatever, you know, as those guys, you know, because it was the PRT that I had was always the icon. It was an icon for the world in terms of that system. It was icon for that, that community. Well, we certainly have some exciting things coming on the forefront of autonomous vehicle technology. Clement? It was so nice to have you back. Thank you for joining us today. Um, and now everyone can be jealous that Clement, two-time in the hot seat 
of the Head of the Curve podcast. Great, awesome things that you brought to the table both times. I know our listeners really enjoy hearing um, about you and all the exciting things that are, are going on in intermodal and especially in this autonomous personal transportation space. So thanks for joining us. Uh, you're welcome. Glad to be back. After this short break, we'll hear about the realities of implementation in the real world. Human trafficking happens everywhere, sadly, but often happens on our nation's roadways. In Georgia, the average age of a human trafficking victim is 14 years old. By being aware and knowing the signs of human trafficking, you could make a difference and help stop this crime. Knowing the warning signs, like inappropriate clothing either for age or weather, the inability to speak for oneself, they show signs of physical abuse, or the individual is fearful, timid, or submissive. Georgia DOT is doing our part to end human trafficking. Please report any suspicious activity to the Georgia Human Trafficking Hotline at 866-363-4842. That's 866-363-4842. For information on the warning signs of human trafficking, visit doas.ga.gov. Let's band together to end human trafficking in Georgia. Welcome back. You may or may not be aware that there are 28 Community Improvement Districts, or CIDs, in Georgia. Along with providing infrastructure planning and management, they're largely focused on transportation, including road improvements, pedestrian accommodations, and traffic signalization, but also services that enhance the community they serve, making the projects they work on really the epitome of the word hyper-local. GDOT is committed to improving mobility for all Georgians, and in some instances, we partner with these CIDs to better accomplish this goal. I'm joined in studio today by ATL Airport CID Executive Director Gerald McDowell. Gerald, thank you so much for joining us today. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Before we get into the, the details of, of all the exciting things you're working on, tell us about yourself. We, we like to get to know our guest as more than just the role you play every day, but outside the home. Who are you? Where are you from? Tell us about your family. Absolutely. I have uh, been in the Atlanta area since 1984, came here for college, and I've been here ever since. Um, uh, my wife and I celebrated our 33rd anniversary this j past July. Congratulations. Oh, thank That's you. Amazing. We have uh, two children, our daughter Taylor uh, and our son Wesley, and professionally, I was in the IT industry for almost 20 years. I ran out of college, I was a software developer, and at the latter part of my career, I uh, had my own software company for about four or five years. And um, during, during that time, I had the opportunity to do projects in over 40 different of our states and about 15 different countries. Uh, so I had a lot of experience with uh, projects in uh, diverse areas, and I believe that um, career uh, prepared me for the work that I'm doing today. In 2005, I shut down my business and I started working for a community improvement district in Norcross, and that led to about 10 years working with CIDs in um, Gwinnett County, where I um, ended up in Lilburn and, and before coming here to the ATL Airport Community Improvement Districts. Um, as you know, 
that we have we are managing two CIDs um, at the at the um, ATL Airport CIDs. Uh, there's one Airport West in Fulton County, and then there's Airport South in Clayton County. And the two CIDs uh, use the brand ATL Airport Community Improvement Districts um, as our marketing introduction to the marketplace. And um, so the work that I had in IT is the inspiration behind a lot of work that I'm doing now with CIDs because some of the challenges that we have, especially as it relates to transportation, but also with public safety, uh, I am um, able to identify technology that can address some of those challenges. And hopefully we can talk more about that today. So you've seen two things that I've noticed. As someone who's come to the Atlanta area since 1984, so you've been here since 1984, and someone who's worked in IT, those are two things that have changed dramatically since 1984. Uh, You've seen uh, the Olympics and how it sort of propelled Atlanta. And you've also seen IT, which honestly, it's changing daily. Absolutely. But you've seen it really from a unique aspect. Um, From that perspective, where, where was IT and Atlanta at in 84 and where are we now? Well, in 1984, we, we, we were, that, believe it or not, we were transitioning from a period in uh, IT where projects could take anywhere from um, 18 months to five years from concept to development. And then once it was put in the marketplace, uh, there was little competition. So you usually only ended up with one choice. Um, whereas today, uh, projects are developed daily almost. And when, when a when you learn of a product or a service, you have a variety of choices. I, I remember when I was in college, I had a professor who, when he wrote a computer program, he, he did it, um, he had to go to another building and run a deck of cards in order to find out if that program works. And, and today, now we have artificial intelligence writing software for us. Uh, so we're, we're in a different space, um, and I think the opportunity for um, for all of us, and regardless of what sector you're in, is to, to is to understand the role that technology can play in helping us solve some of the challenges that we face from day to day. Well, when we talk about the important things that you have going on over at the ATL Airport CIDs, definitely have the right person in place. It sounds like because of your perspective and your your deep knowledge of the IT field. What y'all have going on out there is so exciting because um, we at GDOT like to say we don't want to be the last. We really like to be the first when it comes to these innovative initiatives. And it sounds like y'all are really on the cusp of becoming sort of not just hyper-local as we talk about today, but globally a benchmark in this technology sort of autonomous vehicle realm. So so you tell us because you're going to tell it way better than I can. Sure, sure. And, and thank you for those kind comments. Um, it, the work that we're doing is certainly exciting. Um, my, my wife tells me that I'm, I talk about it in my sleep, and it, but it's an exciting time. And the, the, probably the most important aspect that is so exciting is that we get to look at solving these problems from a regional perspective. It's, it's not just what is good for the airport area, but what, what is good for our region and, and, and even our entire state. And uh, just to give you a little context, uh, I, I came to the ATL Airport CIDs back in 2015, and immediately 
one of the things that um, I found myself uh, discussing with stakeholders and with our agencies throughout the state, it, it was transportation and the lack of um, high-speed rail in South Metro around the airport area. And over a, a course of, of a year or two, uh, we in the, with having those conversations, I learned uh, why we didn't have high-speed rail in South Metro. And it, it kind of goes hand in hand with uh, the same reason why we don't have a lot of, of uh, development projects occurring in South Metro. We, it, was, it was somewhat confusing when you, when you consider that the world's busiest airport is located in South Metro, but in the airport area, you don't, you don't have the same type of development or economic development that is occurring in the other parts of the region. And it really came down to transportation. And so as we had conversations, not only with our stakeholders, but with our transit agencies, with, with GDOTs, with MARTA, with ARC, or the Atlanta Regional Commission, or the Atlanta Transit Link Authority, um, we came to understand that heavy rail probably was not gonna come to South Metro for 25, 35, 40 years. Um, but it was necessary to have some type of service that was similar in order to unlock the economic opportunities in South Metro and to not only for South Metro, but for our entire region. Because what one of the things that I had learned is that we lost some competitiveness in our region. And, we, and so there was a need for South Metro to be part of the pie. And so we started to have conversations about, well, how can we find other solutions? And so uh, long story short, the board of directors for both CID supported the recommendation from staff to 100% fund a study and so back in 2018, we, we launched a, uh, what we call the Transit Feasibility Study. Uh, it was paid for by the CIDs 100%. That was a year-long study that in January of 2019, uh, there was a recommendation from the study that we take a look at emerging mobility technologies. And, and there were three recommendations, um, what, what is called personal rapid transit, um, microtransit, and autonomous shuttles. Now, a lot of people ask, what is the difference between autonomous shuttles and, and personal rapid transit? Because the vehicles look similar, they are, both are autonomous, and the analogy that I like to use is there are cases where each service is appropriate. Um, autonomous shuttles are like a bicycle, and uh, PRT is like a motorcycle. So as you think about those two modes of transportation, the uh, motorcycle is more appropriate when you when you want to get on the interstate and go long distances, and when you want to remain within a particular air service area, uh, then a, an autonomous shuttle might be more appropriate. But we're looking at both. We're looking at autonomous shuttles, we're looking at personal rapid transit, and we're looking at micro transit. Uh, I think did I get away from your question? No, no. In <laughs> fact, in fact, you you knew all my questions, and we're done. No, no. I it, it brings up uh, when you're doing something and you're definitely working in the sort of emerging and growing IT field. You can't do it alone. Right. Uh, who, what kind of partners do you need, both public and private? I, I assume there's a need 
strongly from the private sector as well to bring not only financing, but to bring some of the technology and the ideas to the table. How do you define in this, how, how did y'all sort of grow over the past couple of years, who the stakeholders were, who the partnership was, using the feasibility study to get to the pilot program, how did it grow and who all has been involved to make this, uh, to get it to where it is today? That's a great question. I like the way you phrased it, uh, public-private. I, I believe personally that solutions that we're going to have to embrace in the 21st century, century are absolutely public and private. Public sector cannot go at it, at it alone because the, the landscape has changed, and, but the private sector can't go at it alone. And I just recently had a meeting with MARTA and, and in, also in my conversations with, with the Georgia Department of Transportation um, what I try to communicate and relay to those partners is that you all do this every day. And, and as we look at this from a private perspective as a community improvement district, uh, we're looking at it through a lens where we're, we're, we're entering into a space that we don't operate in every day. But Georgia, Georgia Department of Transportation and it, what it does throughout the entire state and MARTA and what it does throughout um, its, system, its network it is necessary for the two sectors, the public and the private sectors, to work together. So as we explored these autonomous um, solutions uh, and technologies, uh, we, we identified that they potentially could be a solution for some of the challenges that we're having, especially in South Metro, but even throughout the region as, relate, as it relates to transit and transportation. But how do you incorporate these solutions into a network that GDOT or MARTA or the ATL or ARC is, has been managing and manages every day. And we, don't, we, didn't know, we didn't know those answers. And so when we talked with GDOT, um, I remember years and years ago, probably three or four years ago, on the commissioner, he, he said, we, he and I had a conversation and, and he saw that the way to approach this was the same way that GDOT interacts with utilities, where you, the, these, Solutions and the service needs uh, access to right-of-way and, uh, and needs to work in sync with our road networks. And that's what GDOT manages every, every day. And then MARTA uh, manages our public transportation system in the region. And, and what it manages every day, it takes in consideration things that we would never even think about or consider. Uh, we're just looking at it from the technological perspective. So it is absolutely necessary that the public and private sector works, work together. So when we had our signing ceremony for the memorandum of agreement, um, that, that was with MARTA, uh, it was with Fulton County, uh, Clayton County, and the city of College Park. Uh, we had a letter of support from, from GDOT. Uh, we also had support from, the, from ATL and from ARC. And, and the reason for that is as we approach the launch of the pilot, it is necessary to have those, those public partners um, in, in order for us to figure out this challenge uh, that we have before us. Tell me a little bit, just for our listeners who may not know, uh, talk about the memorandum of agreement. Why is that so vital um, to, to moving forward with, with the project, with the pilot project? So first of all, we have to have, we have to um, operate the, the demonstration in a place where the general public can have access to it. Uh, and so that was, that's where Fulton County, 
Clayton County and, and Fulton County comes in because where our CID sits, they sit in Fulton County and Clayton County. But they what but we also recognize in, in uh, College Park that they have a convention center um, and they also are in both counties. They're in Fulton County and College Park is in Clayton County. And so those three um, public partners, they were important. And it was also because they have the uh, physical location where people are already moving. You know, they're either connecting to the airport, they're connecting to hotels, uh, convention center or the arena, uh, or you have the different headquarters like Delta headquarters and in Portia, North America. So, so that's why those partners were important. And then MARTA uh, was important because MARTA is already, obviously manages our public transportation system. And, and so we need MARTA as a partner because there are actually two parts to the agreement. The first part is to build the, a pilot, pilot for PRT. But the second part, we had proposed a circulator for the airport area uh, and to utilize a personal rapid transit or PRT for that circulator, and but there was a stu- there is a study necessary to determine the feasibility of, of the solution, um, how much it's going to cost to build, how much it's going to cost to operate and maintain, um, how many riders are there going to be, how much should be charged, and so MARTA has agreed in this agreement to conduct that study internally, uh, and we pre- estimate that that's going to be a three million dollar study, and MARTA has agreed to conduct that study at the same time we are going to be building this pilot and the two will inform each other uh, the study of course it needs to know answer those questions and then the pilot can help provide the data that is needed uh, for the along with the answers for those questions so that's why those particular partners were important now gdot is important because we're talking about a, a solution or a system that's going to be moving people and gdot is the agency in, in the state that certifies those type of systems and so it is important for GDOT to be at the table so that when we get to that point where cert- safety certification is needed, um, G- uh, GDOT certainly can provide that role. And then the ATL has been a very important partner and strategic partner because it's not only looking at the airport area, but it's looking at the entire region and how this, uh, what out the work that we're doing, how it might be a, be a solution for other parts of the region, if not other parts of the state. Community improvement districts, are, I believe, are so important. I'm sure you would agree. <laughs> yes. um, and they can do what would seem like small things, like you look at College Park, landscaping efforts at interchanges to to beautify or to sort of, um, you know, tailor to the needs or to the, the feel of the community, to the, the personality of the community. So small things like that. This would strike me as a large thing yes. um, because – it's, it's almost comical to talk about a hyper-local initiative, but you're also talking about the world's busiest airport. So, so it's hyper-local to the people who live and work and, and build a family or, or build their career in this area. But you're also, um, this program, when you look at the feasibility, you're looking at every person who flies in. You're looking at, at again, when you talk about Porsche International, you're talking about major corporations, but you're also talking about the people who live and work in the community. So it's a very hyper-local initiative with a lot of people involved. Does that make it more complex? Does that make it more exciting? How do you balance that? It's all of the above because at the, at the end of the day, uh, we've got to be able to figure out how, to, how people are going to move around. And we know, GDOT knows better than anybody else, 
that more vehicles on the road is um, is not the path forward. We've got to figure out how to get people out of their vehicles. And um, the MARTA rail system is a solution that is necessary for our region. Um, but expanding that rail system is very expensive. Uh, we've had conversations with MARTA where it is a, a billion dollars per mile to expand the MARTA rail system, $1 billion per mile. But not only in the airport area, but throughout our region, we, we have communities that are trapped for in various aspects. So, uh, development is not possible because it's a very congested area. Or as it, relate, as it is in, 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 in the case of, of South Metro, you're dealing with a lot of geography. And so how do you justify a development project in an area that may not have adequate transportation services or transit services? And so you, you end up in a catch-22 where you cannot afford to make the investments to expand transit and transportation with the existing technologies and solutions. And so therefore, we have to embrace emerging technologies. Well, the, the challenge with emerging technologies, and in most cases, they are unproven. And we don't know if they, if they will uh, provide us the uh, solution that we're looking for. And, but we, and we don't have the time for a transit agency to, to uh, try to deploy and implement a system that it is not sure if it's going to work, especially as it relates to something like personal rapid transit, where it really doesn't exist anywhere in this country. Therefore, a, a entity like a community improvement district is a logical partner because that's what we do. We keep the ball moving. We do the investigation. We use our resources to make that determination because if the determination is that it's not feasible, it's not viable, it's not a negative impact on the agency. But if it is, it's not a lost opportunity. So what we have been doing for the past five years with our work as we've looked at um, personal rapid transit and autonomous shuttles and microtransit is we are, we, we've done the investigation. We've gone on, on intelligent trips with delegations to, to educate and inform. And now we're at a point where we need to build something. We need to build something so that we can not only see if it works, but if it's something that people will embrace. And, and it's in being in the world, in, in the world's business airport area, gives us a lot of data points to collect to make that determination because there are so many people and there are so many jobs and there are so many uh, communities with so much potential that needs to be unlocked that it's not going to happen if we are waiting on our existing network for 25, 35, 40 years, but these emerging technologies could, could make it happen um, before the end of this decade. We, we could absolutely start be implementing personal rapid, rapid transit uh, micro transit and autonomous shuttles in our communities by the end of this decade. And in doing so, we make Atlanta a very competitive market, a very desirable market for families to come and live and work. ARC has told us in the next 20 years, 25 years, another two and a half million people are going to move to the Atlanta region. We believe these emerging mobility solutions will make the South Metro area attractive for people to, to consider um, to set up shop where it's for office or work or, or to live. And, and so people absolutely will be the center of focus. How do we move uh, people around in the 21st century? And, and I believe the answer to that question lies within these um, 
emerging mobility solutions. What What is the timeline what, that y'all are looking at? We anticipate having that pilot operational by 2025. So by the end of 2025, you'll be able to, to come to, to out where this system is operating and you'll be able to ride and experience personal rapid transit. By the end of the first quarter in 2024, we're gonna have a micro transit service operating in the airport area. Uh, we, we're our partner is MARTA and ATL um, and, and our local cities. And so that's another service. So that's more immediate. That's gonna be by the end of the first quarter in 2024 and the two go together. Um, but once we award this project for PRT, uh, we, we anticipate having an operational uh, system by the end of by 25. And then during that same time, MARTA is gonna be conducting this study. And uh, my gut tells me that that study is gonna be very favorable. And so by, the, by 25, we're gonna have a plan for how we then go to the next phase of building out PRT. And I believe by 2030, uh, we are certainly gonna have PRT as an option, uh, not only in the uh, airport area, but I believe that there are other communities throughout our region and even throughout our state where PRT is the uh, uh, viable and uh, feasible solution. And, and so by the end of this decade, um, you absolutely would have um, more choices and more alternatives when it comes to mobility, uh, whether it's personal rapid transit, micro transit, or, or autonomous shuttles. Well, I, I wanna congratulate you because it takes a brave forward thinking group to, to step out and make these changes and do these things and try these things that may not be you know, tested. You, this is testing it, and this is making sure that it is successful for the state, for the nation, um, and it takes someone doing that. So congratulations, y'all. You. You're you. changing the face of transportation, not just here in Georgia, but hopefully nationwide. And, and again, that takes, that takes a great group to be able to do that. So um, thank you for joining us and, it, and for talking with us today. It was certainly, um, I know our, our listeners will find it very educational and exciting. And I know that uh, you know, some, some of your users are gonna be our listeners and those writing, uh, those in this room, are, we're, gonna, we're gonna help you test it out and it's gonna be great. But again, congratulations on really incredible things that are going on out at your CID. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate the opportunity. Thanks again for joining us on Ahead of the Curve. Today, we dove into a topic that was absolutely ahead of the curve. We've gone from an icon in West Virginia in the 1970s to learn how we're going to bring that icon here to Georgia and how we're going to continue to be a leader in the innovative field that is autonomous vehicles and unique forms of transportation. If you have an idea for an upcoming episode or if you have a question, please reach out to us at AOTC, that's for Ahead of the Curve, at dot.ga.gov. Again, AOTC at dot.ga.gov. Next month, we are going to learn about how Georgia DOT works with and supports disadvantaged business enterprises and how you can become a certified DBE to begin doing business with Georgia DOT. That's what's next on Ahead of the Curve.